So a couple of months ago, we started out to revamp our backyard. We had a few small plans that we planned to go with originally, uh, but as each step was completed, we saw new opportunities to make our yard a little paradise off of Elmwood Avenue. Um, Now, construction isn't really my thing, uh, but with the help of my boys and Pastor Bill and Doug, we were able to make our backyard uh, really nice. Uh, We started out by uh, getting some materials to fix a couple of the fence sections, and I was going to make my wife a little garden bed for Mother's Day, and we got that accomplished, and that kind of opened up a door to do something different, and we had some other fence sections that Uh, needed some replacing, and so we decided to pull them down and put a platform in and put a shed in its place, and then as that was completed, we saw, well, the yard looks pretty grubby and dirty, so we had pulled down an old playhouse that we had built, a tree fort, and we we laid down some 4 by 6 pressure-treated lumber in the ground and then put a little floating uh, low-lying deck on top. We've really been able to enjoy this project um, and, and we enjoy our backyard. Now, construction, if you have good plans and decent skills and materials to work with, you can finish a project uh, and really step-by-step step, you can enjoy the results. There are, are types of projects that certainly do have variables like things being out of square or things are not level, or maybe you have some roots in the way of your beams that you need to dig out, but these things are remedied with hard work and some knowledge. Raising children is not really like this. Raising children, it's not like if you have some instruction manual, you can follow these instructions and and you will be ensured that you're going to have a square level product. Raising children is a spiritual endeavor. It requires constant prayer and a constant seeking of God's wisdom, a constant willingness to change here so we can parent well. Parenting is not for the faint of heart. In construction, if there's a root, you can dig it out. If there's something uneven, you can make an adjustment. You can even, uh, within reason, ensure a finished product that is just as you designed. But raising children, you're dealing with living, breathing, sinful, willful beings. It's an entirely different endeavor. If the Lord allows you the privilege of raising children, it is one of the greatest and most challenging projects of this life. Now, we've been studying through... Romans chapter 6, these last several months, or last month or so, I guess, for Romans 6, and we've been discussing the new life that is ours through union with Jesus Christ. This has eternal and spiritual implications. The fact that we've been united together with Christ, that means that I'll never be condemned for my sin. I am guaranteed a place in God's kingdom. I know when I stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, I will not stand there and and be dismissed because I've been united together with Christ. My sins have been eternally forgiven. His righteousness has eternally been granted. It's the glory of the gospel. We recognize that eternal spiritual implication. 
We also have to understand, and that's what Paul does, he turns his attention from that union to the application of that union in a very practical way. We see that there is application in this life of that new life. The new life comes with application in the way we go about our day-to-day affairs, the way that we operate in life with our relationships and the way that we process through things. We've been talking about putting the new life on display. And our gospel witness to the world around us will be totally ineffective. Totally ineffective and really useless if the realities of the gospel have not taken root in us to transform us. If you talk all about the gospel but live the old way, who's going to listen to you? It's the demonstration of the gospel in life that demonstrates true faith and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So gospel transformation must be on display. We've looked at a number of passages in the book of Ephesians to this point to see how this new life should be on display. There is no more important area to deal with, no more telling area to be on display than new life in our homes. Because you can put on a facade when you go to work. You can put on a facade when you come to church. You can put on a facade when you're at the grocery store. But in your home, that's where you kick off your shoes and put on your slippers if you're one of those. I'm not one of those slipper guys. Some of you are. Kick off your slippers, get comfortable, and then really everything about you you, you demonstrate who you are. If the new life is not in display in your home, then whatever it is that you're displaying when you go out of the home is very likely to be also the flesh. If you don't put the new life on display in your home, it's not likely that even when you put on that facade at work, it's probably not that you're really demonstrating the Spirit. It's that you want people to think a certain way about you, and so you're dealing with flesh again. And that's... That's a telling thing. I think you and I really need to to look inside. And we need to talk to the Lord. Lord, show me. Show me. Am I truly demonstrating in my home and in my workplace? And when I go out, am I truly demonstrating that your power is at work within me? This is the, the privilege of the Christian life. To display to a world that does not know Jesus what it's like to know Jesus and have your life transformed. Real spiritual life takes place in our homes. The apostles do not frame their instructions about the family around peace and harmony. Chew on that one for just a moment. When the apostles tell us about God's order in the home in the New Testament, it's not about you having a a really happy refuge to come and have um, peace and harmony because you've done things right and so now you have the happy thing. Now that is a wonderful result. Peace and harmony is a wonderful result of a spirit-filled home. But it's not the goal of a spirit-filled home. It's very interesting as the apostle Peter frames his discussion in the book of 1 Peter, and he's going to lead into chapter 3 where he talks about husbands and wives. Before that, he talks about 
uh, our dealing with the government and our dealing in the workplace. But when he gets to chapter 3, he deals with husbands and wives. He frames it not about peace and harmony, not so you'll have your best life now. He frames it with the idea that the world about you, instead of scoffing and ridiculing, will turn from their sin and turn to Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2 before he launches into his discussion of family. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He tells you and me, we want our neighbors to see a change in us so that rather than scoffing at our beliefs, they will turn to the One that we believe. And the way we do this is by living a life that demonstrates who we are in Christ. Living a life that's honorable, He says, not uh, overtaken with our own fleshly desires And then he goes on from there to say, and so honor your governing authorities in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Do right in the workplace in verses 18 through 25 of chapter 2. And then chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. First wives, then husbands, do what's right. And you'll see the impact that it has on their lives. These are treasures for God. This is how Peter frames his discussion on the family. It's about people being one to Christ. Paul does something even a little further than that in his dealing with the the family. He says it's really an outworking of the Spirit in your life. Remember in in Ephesians 5, he starts off in verses 1 and 2 by telling us to walk in love. In verses 3 through 14, to walk in light. In verses 15 to 17, to walk in wisdom. And verses 18 through 21 to walk in the Spirit. Then he talks about husbands and wives in verses uh, 22 through the end of the chapter. And then chapter 6, verses 1 through 3, he talks about the children obeying their parents, honoring their parents. Chapter 6 and verse 4, fathers. Really, you can can widen that out to parenting, but fathers specifically in verse 4. Verses 5-9, through he talks about the employer-employee relationships, both those that work for someone or those who are their their boss. He uses slave terminology. Um, But that's the concept. And then as you you turn to the next section, it's not like he says, all right, we're done with that. I want to talk to you about something fresh, something new. No, part of the discussion, the conclusion to the discussion is, is this. Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In other words, you need God's grace for this. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The schemes of the devil. Where will the schemes of the devil hit us? If you think about the context, it's going to hit us in our workplace and it's going to hit us in our homes. Right? 
the schemes of the devil. He goes on to say, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Well, it sure seems like I'm wrestling against my boss. It sure seems like I'm wrestling against those that work for me. It sure seems like I'm wrestling against my children. Or it sure seems like I'm wrestling against my parents or my husband or my wife. It sure seems like there's a battle going on. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's not where the real, where the real war is. But against the rulers. Against the authorities. Against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil, where? In the heavenly places. I could go off on a little rant there. Um, The heavenlies, chapter 1 and verse 3 of Ephesians, that's where all of our spiritual blessings are. You know that? All of our spiritual blessings, they're ours in Christ, but they're in the heavenlies. But before we get to those spiritual blessings, there's something in the way. There are spiritual forces of wickedness keeping us from those blessings. They're fighting against us from experiencing the joys of the blessings of God in the heavenlies. And you know, that war takes place in real time and it seems to take place against flesh and blood. But what Paul does here is he lets us know, you think your real problem is your your wife, she's not very nice to you. You think your real problem is your husband. He's kind of uh, ignorant. You think your real problem is your kids. They don't really listen to you. You think your real problem is your dad. He's really overbearing. You think that's where your real problem is, but that's not the real problem. Real problem is a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual reality. See, these things, we have to understand everything that we're doing on a day-to-day life, in our day-to-day life, every moment of the day relates to me, me, and the Lord. Am I going to surrender my will to God? Am I going to allow Him to have His way in me? Is is He truly going to be the love of my heart? Am I going to love Him with all my heart? All my soul? All my strength? Will that be it? Or do I have something else in mind? And so as we think about these things, about the family, and demonstrating the new life in our homes, this is far more important than having harmony. Harmony is wonderful. I really can't stand a lack of peace. It bothers me. I like harmony. I like joy. I like unity. I like happy home. But that's not the end goal. The end goal is to testify of the glory of God in my home and out of my home that the world may know that there is a God and that He is real and that He has saved a people like me, a people like you, all of us different, different personalities, different emotional backgrounds, different experiences, different intellectual capacities, different talents, and yet God saves people like this. It's a motley crew we have around here. It's a motley crew I have in my home. We're all different. But yet God is doing a work. And we have to understand this bigger idea. What takes place in my home and in your home is of utmost importance. It's the mission to which we've been called. Now on on August 2nd, we started this discussion on the home. If you need some more information about that, you can look it up uh, on our website. You can look it up on our Facebook page, our YouTube page, Or if you don't do any of those kinds of things, call the office. We'll send you some notes or a CD 
or something to kind of get you brought up to speed. But this morning, what we want to talk about and how we want to worship the Lord in His Word is we want to see how the new life impacts our parenting. It is specifically in this text mentioning the fathers, but many of these, uh, all of these points really are going to be valuable for parenting in general. Take a look now at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Be honest now. Don't you wish there were more verses right there on this topic? I do. I wish there were more. Now, there's plenty of data, information throughout the Scriptures on parenting. I wish that Paul elaborated some more here. I wish the Spirit of God wanted him to elaborate more here. But this is what we have. It's very straightforward and vitally important. Now, as we think about parenting and we think about fathers, there are two ends of the spectrum that we certainly can see. I want you to think about this for a moment. There are fathers who are absent or abdicate their authority. In other words, they neglect their responsibilities. That's one end of the spectrum. And then over here, on another end of the spectrum, you have overbearing, dominant, micromanaging fathers. It's another end of the spectrum. And of course, then you have all the spectrum in between. Various grades and degrees of where people might land on this. Uh, Paul's instruction gives us, I think, some pretty good clarity. He first offers a prohibition. Don't do this. Prohibitions, don't do's, are very helpful for us. But because he doesn't elaborate, we have to elaborate ourselves to understand well well, what would cause what he's prohibiting here so here's the prohibition fathers do not provoke your children to anger do not provoke your children to anger provoke means to rouse to wrath or to exasperate and there are so many ways my brothers So many ways that we can be guilty as as fathers of violating this commandment and bringing about exasperation. And I think there are many examples in, in the Scriptures that demonstrate the exasperation. And I think, if you're honest with yourself, you've seen yourself bring about this exasperation in a child. And usually you can see it. It's You go from from one spirit that they have... You deal with whatever the situation is and you can see them go from that spirit to exasperation and you know we've crossed the line. Now some of it is because they're sinful and don't want to be told what to do. And some of it is the way that you go about the way you're instructing them. And so I think we have to always take note when you see that change within someone from guilty to exasperated, okay, am I violating something here? Well, the Scriptures give us some examples and I want for us to look at uh, one and think about a couple of others. Take a look at 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Do not provoke your children to wrath. We have an example of a man named Eli 
you probably remember him. Before you even get to that in 1 Samuel 2, you have Hannah praying for a child. God gives her a child. She had promised to give him to the Lord. And so she brings Samuel to the temple and Eli is involved in his uh, instruction. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, we're in, uh, introduced to Eli's sons. They're doing some rather raunchy things that we're not going to talk about right now. In verse 27, we have a messenger sent to Eli from God letting him know trouble was in line. Everyone following me at this point? 1 Samuel chapter 2, a messenger's coming to, to, to relate a message from God about some trouble. Verse 27, And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel." Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. So he, he really hones in. God hones in on Eli and his sons and their acts. And he says, you have been honoring them above me. You're choosing the meat over me, you have despised me. So he gives very clear instructions about Eli's problem. Look now at chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In other words, this is not going to be a happy speech. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. You've got Eli and various problems that he is involving himself in that have produced a parenting problem. Neglecting to deal properly with his sons, allowing practices that you can read about later, the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 2, that were completely inappropriate and despicable, and they were blaspheming God. This is a neglecting, abandoning, abdicating responsibility father. And even when he found out about it, he honored his sons instead of the Lord God. What a tragedy this is, isn't it? It's an example to all of us to avoid. Now, then you think about a man named Lot. You're familiar with Lot. I, I have to keep myself... I get worked up when I think about Lot. And I have to remind myself that 
the Bible calls Lot righteous Lot. I have some other thoughts on Lot, but I have to agree with what the Bible says. Um, I'm not even talking about the fact that Lot chose to go to Sodom and Gomorrah, to stay in Sodom and Gomorrah. What really produces wrong emotions within me, I'm going to take that back, right emotions within me, righteous indignation, is when I consider in Genesis chapter 19, when some angelic beings enter into Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot invites them into the house. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah saw them come in and they asked for Lot to send the guys out. And Lot says, take my daughters instead. Something, something's wrong with you, my friend. You, you are someone to be despised in this scenario. Lot demonstrates his sinfulness in his willingness to sacrifice his daughters to a repugnant crowd, a repulsive crowd, rather than doing what's right. And then you see later on the results of uh, this when the angels are trying to deliver Lot and his family from Sodom and Gomorrah, and he's telling his sons-in-law about this. They think that he's joking Or maybe you might say they think he's a joke. So why would I listen to you? What do you have to offer to me? So his good news was rebuffed because his life did not demonstrate the good news. That's not the kind of papa you want to be. Not the kind of daddy you want to be. We see more abandoning of responsibilities over here. And then then you think about David. There's a lot of good that can be said about David as you follow through the biblical record, right? The sweet psalmist of Israel, king of Israel, many good things, the man after God's own heart, but he too has many sinful flaws that have produced many problems in the people of Israel and even in his own family. And you can see the results of some of David's decisions, say, dealing with Bathsheba and Uriah, you can see some of his decisions and how they impacted his family when you see how things worked out with Absalom and how things turned out for Solomon. Now, no one's responsible for the sins of their children. Every person is accountable to themselves. However, We do demonstrate some things, and sometimes our demonstration leads our children in a way that is contrary to the things of the Lord. We could look at many other illustrations, but I I think those samples for us help us to see this abdicating, um, absent, poor choices, and it's the impact that take place. Consider these traits as ways that are possible toward exasperation being intolerant, or if you want to say it a different way, being perfectionistic. Well, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. And sometimes when that's the way we come across, it comes across like you're not good enough. Boy, you're a grave disappointment to me. Maybe some of you have heard that. 
How'd you like it? It's not the way you want to, what you want to hear from your mom or your dad. You're a, you're a real disappointment. That'd be hurtful. Intolerance. How about this? Inconsistency. One day we're like this. Another day we're like this. We can joke about this this day. Don't joke about it that way. We can get away with a thing on this day, but the next day, not so much. We're going to walk around on eggshells. Don't, which dad is going to be here today? Which mom is going to be here today? Is she going to go off on me today? Not knowing what to expect. Indifference. Indifference. I have my own, I have my own things I'm dealing with. I'm really busy with my life, my career, my pursuits, my thoughts, my interests. I don't really care. Now, probably this isn't what would be said. It's more demonstrated. Don't really care what your interests are, what your pursuits are, what things you want to do. It's just, it's about what I want. That might not be said. It's the way it's demonstrated. How about impatience? Impatience can certainly lead to exasperation. I've had to, I've had to learn some lessons on impatience in my home. I have exasperated uh, my children from time to time with impatience. The Lord has had to teach me. It's humbling. It's humbling. But it's part of the way God trains us too as parents. We need to have our our minds tuned to our own sinfulness so that when we sin, we correct it first with the Lord, but secondly with our family. Impatience. And then pride. Pride. Not being able to admit our own sinfulness. Not seeing our own flaws. This will drive your family absolutely insane. If you don't ever recognize your own flaws, sinfulness, or errant ways, you will absolutely exasperate those around you. This is true in any relationship. Well, those are some areas to avoid. Of course, we could talk about this uh, for weeks on end. But that's the negative side of the conversation. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. That's the negative side of the conversation. There's also a positive side to it. He tells them to nourish his children. Fathers, nourish your children. That's the call in chapter 6, back in Ephesians. I forgot to turn back there. Take a look back in Ephesians 6. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but here's the contrast and the positive. Bring them up. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So he uses the word ektrepho. It means to nourish up to maturity. Nourish or nurture up to maturity. There are some men that will take the time and energy necessary to nurture their lawn. And that takes a lot of effort, doesn't it? Nurture their lawn. But don't take the effort to nurture their children. What an important thing is being neglected when someone refuses to nurture that which is far more important than a blade of grass or a thousand. He tells us to nurture them in a certain way. So he doesn't just say nurture them and then leave us 
wondering, well, how do I nurture them? He gives us two very important instructions related to that nurturing. In the discipline, the term discipline is paideia. It means training. In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We'll talk about this training for a moment. When I think about training, I think of sports. It's just how I work, so bear with me as I talk about basketball. If you're going to be a basketball player, you have to learn techniques. And I remember when I was a kid, I used to play pickup basketball with my buddy Tom. He lived in Providence right near the Chad Brown complex. And we would go out at night, go to one of the basketball courts, and we'd play either two-on-two, three-on-three, or whatever the case may be. And I was, I was pretty good. Pretty good. I played a lot, you know, got my shot down, I could get a good rebound, I could get, do my reverse layups and all this kind of good stuff. And uh, it was time I was going to go join a high school team, thinking, all right, I'm going to dominate this high school team. And I get there, and uh, at first practice, the coach wants to see what I can do, so he's guarding me down low, and I get the ball down there, and I'm scoring every time, you know, putting it off the backboard. Um, and and he's, he's, uh, just, he's trying to push up against me, and I was stronger than he was, and those kinds of things. But then he said, all right, now, here's what we're going to go on the other side of the hoop now. So it was before I was getting the ball down here, and you know, using my right hand, which I did all the time. Now we're going to go on the other side. And then I had to use my left hand, and things got a little bit dicey. And so I said, well, I, I can't do that. And he said, can't, can't do anything. <laughs> all right. I got you. I think I understand what that means. And then it was time for the layup drills and, you know, right-handed layups all day long. Oh, time to do a left-handed layup. I, uh, I can't. Can't, can't do anything. He taught me not, it's not practice that makes perfect. It's perfect practice that makes perfect. All right. So in order for practice to actually work, you have to do it the right way in practice in order for that to be helpful. So he taught me how to use my left hand, with, both with layups and other things down low. Through those drills, those drills and those instructions, that training, now even to this day, even though I don't, don't play very often, I can still go out there and do a left-handed layup. I can still shoot with my left hand just because of those, all of those trainings. There was a lot of time that was invested in me to, to enhance my skills. Well, that's the concept. That's the concept that God, through Paul, uses for the nurturing of our children is to discipline them. So this isn't like a one and done. I already told you how to do this. I already gave you instructions on this. No, it's teach them and, and go through the process and teach them and go through the process and teach them and go through the process. It's training, not training once, but training again and again. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 12. This word paideia is used in various forms in this passage, and it's a, a beautiful passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 12. The communication in Hebrews 12 is comparing the parenting of earthly fathers with the parenting of our Heavenly Father. And time and again, this concept of training is brought up to our attention. Ephesians, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the, what does it say? Discipline, that's the training of the Lord. Nor be weary when you're reproved by Him. For the Lord 
disciplines, there's paideia again, just in the verb form, the one he loves, and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been, here's our word again, trained by it. Can you see the emphasis that God has here for the people that are the recipients of that book? You know who that is? That's us. God wants us to know that God trains and fathers train. Inject that back into Ephesians chapter 6. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but instead train them. It requires time. It requires patience. It requires consistency. We have to be compassionate, remembering how many times we have stumbled, how many times we have sinned, how far short we fall. Keep training, training. There's consistency that's being called for. Head back to Ephesians chapter 6. He tells us to nurture, nourish to maturity our children by training them. And then he uses another expression to help us to understand this nurturing process. And that's this. And the instruction of the Lord. The word there for instruction is nuthasia. And if you know anything about counseling, there's a a system of counseling called nuthetic counseling. Nuthetic means to admonish. Admonish. So you have this training that's going on and the admonishing that accompanies it. But it's not, it's not just admonition for admonition's sake. It's the instruction and admonition of the Lord. What are we trying to teach them? What are we trying to teach them? I want to teach my kids to be good kids. I want to teach them to be respectful and kind and hardworking. I want to teach them to... to to save money, not squander it. I want to teach them to to see people around them as having needs that they have maybe been equipped to help with. I want to teach my kids all kinds of things. But there's one thing that stands out as infinitely more important than anything else that I want to train my children in. Head head over with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now remember, the reason we're talking about this parenting, in addition to it being vitally important for life, is we're talking about how the new life comes to application. And if we truly have been made new, it should be seen in our homes. So as moms and dads, we have these responsibilities. We want the new life to be seen because our children need it and the world about us needs it. Deuteronomy chapter 6 Beginning again in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
And these words that I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Why, why go to all these lengths to write these things down? Now, of course, we know how this ended up working out in some of the religious circles is, is they, they were more involved in the ritual than the actual call. But this is God's Word. The instruction is pure. The instruction is good. So give yourself reminders. That's why it's written on your hand and hanging between your eyes. That's why it's on your gate. You're walking in, you're walking out, you see it. You see it. I want to be reminded, what is my objective today? This is why we memorize Scripture. What is my objective today? I, I need to know. Who am I? Whose am I? What is my first order of business? Our first order of business from the beginning to the end of the day is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to, to surrender our will to God so that the Spirit of God will demonstrate His fruitfulness in our lives. First order of the day. As we go through our lives, in every conceivable situation, we are to diligently teach our children. Diligently teach our children. When you're out in the car for a ride, teach your children. When you wake up in the morning, teach your children. Now, this is interesting. The way he frames this and discusses it, this is as important as a, a, a formal family devotional time is, and we want to be a part, partaking in that. We try to do that regularly. Get the kids down. We're, we're going to have a formal time where we're, we're having Bible instruction, whether you're going through um, a, a book or you're going through a booklet or, or whatever it is that you do to, to help navigate you through your Bible time with your family. Those are great and valuable things, but he's taking it to a whole other level. God is taking it to a whole other level. Have your devotional times and, and every other time, it's a teaching moment. Your kids had a bad day at school, it's a teaching moment. Had a bad interaction in the neighborhood, it's a teaching moment. You had a bad day at work, it's a teaching moment. You don't like what's going on in your household, that's a teaching moment. You don't like what's going on in your society, it's a teaching moment. Don't like what's happening in, in some other venue, it's a teaching moment. When you wake up, when you're walking out, when you're walking back, when you're lying down, what are you doing? Remember who's boss. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done. Remember where you're headed. Remember what life's about. Teach it diligently. Diligently. This takes place in the yard. It takes place at home. It takes place on the ball field. We train our children by how we treat them. We train our children by how we treat our spouse. We train our children by how we talk about other Christians. By how we talk about and with our neighbors. By how we talk about our boss. And by how we talk about our society. Our children will hear 
the lessons we speak, but they will learn the lessons we demonstrate. The cute cliche is, more is caught than taught. You want to see God be the primary objective of your child? You want them to really want to love and worship God? You can give them all the instruction about that that you should. But if it's not demonstrated that you love to worship and serve God, more is caught than taught. They will learn from our willingness to admit that we're wrong by our willingness to ask for forgiveness, by our being transformed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Our children will see what we value by the decisions that we make. They will learn if our treasure is in heaven or on earth. They will see if our priority is fulfilling our own desires or if our priorities are fulfilling the purposes of God. We've been given instructions. Brothers and sisters, moms and dads, we've been given instructions. There's so many passages of Scripture that tell our children to listen to our instructions. That means we're instructing, right? Listen to these passages. Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Proverbs 2, 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Verse, uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Proverbs 4, 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that they may gain insight. So those are just just quick little samplings. Obviously, you know in just those passages, those chapters, there's a lot more about the parents' instruction of children. When David was about to die, he had not finished instructing his children. I've gotten to that age. Children not at home at night. Someone else. Someone else has them. It's interesting. When they graduate from high school, when they graduate from college, when they get married, they move out on their own, whatever the case may be, fathers, mothers, you need to learn not to meddle, but you're not done. On his deathbed, David gives instructions to his son. Listen to what he says. When David's time to, draw, to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commands, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. See, even with his dying breaths, I want to turn your gaze toward Christ. I wrote my son a note this week. It's on Thursday or Friday. Same basic instructions. 
using James chapter 3. Let God transform you. We're not done training. It's the call on your life as a parent. Again, you can't meddle when they're adults and they live on their own. You've got to find your boundaries. Make sure that you're not meddling in their affairs of you know, husband, wife, children type things, but always pointing them to Christ until your last breath. Point your children to Jesus Christ, even if they already know him. I point myself toward Jesus every day. I point my wife toward Jesus every day. She does the same for me. We need it. We need to remember what our goals are. We are responsible to teach our children proper behaviors, proper attitudes, proper disciplines, and proper affections. We want to prepare our children for life, for marriage, for family, and most importantly, we want to prepare our children for eternity. To prepare our children for eternity, we must proclaim and demonstrate to them the gospel. Proclaim and demonstrate to them the gospel. They need to see the new life on display in our homes. One last passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14 of Romans 6. God teaches us through the writing of Paul, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will not have dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. And these principles we've talked about a number of times. Believers must apply God's work in this present age in verse 12. Believers must place themselves under the authority of God. In verse 13, believers have a new power, grace, in verse 14. In order to allow the power of God to be on display in us, we must surrender our wills to God. We must present ourselves to God. We must yield to Him. Now, you see yield signs on the road, don't you? Do people know how to use those yield signs? Not very well. Not very well. In fact, many times you can see people ignore those yield signs and you see an accident. And I think of one particular place for those of us that are Warwickians, at the end of Route 37, as people come around the end of Route 37 onto Post Road, away from the airport and toward us, people are not very good at yielding. Now they have since fixed this a little bit so that uh, there's the running lane and there's a little there's less there are less accidents over there, but a lot of times there's still accidents because people don't know how to drive and all that fun stuff. Um, just recently, I was driving down Route 37 coming toward home, and I saw something, and I, I really wish that I just took my camera out and took a picture of it. But I was driving, so, you know. Someone went around 37, and they ran over the yield sign. That is a Rhode Island driver... If I ever saw one, ran it right over. It's there, crumpled on the ground, bent out of shape. It didn't do its job anymore because people ran right through the yield sign. And unfortunately, my brothers and sisters, there are times that you and I do that, running through the yield sign. Spirit of God is teaching us, don't do that.
Don't think that way. Don't speak that. Hold it in. Learn to take that thought captive unto obedience to Christ and we run through and run over the yield sign. Not wise. God's given us what we need not to cater to our flesh. What's on the line in these matters? Our parenting is ultimately about preparing our children to be ready to meet Jesus Christ and about displaying the gospel to the world around us and fighting this battle against principalities and powers and might and dominion for the glory of God. There's a lot on the line. C.T. Studd made this statement as part of a poem that he wrote. You've probably heard it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When I'm dying, I just I wrote this with my finger, so I can't really even see what I wrote. How happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. I was writing the quote down for the first half of it because I've heard it so many times, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Beautiful. The second half of it is really gold as well. When, my, when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life was burned out for thee. Teach it diligently. We, we've been called upon to invest our lives in the things of the Lord. You and I need to ask ourselves before the Lord, am I, am I truly yielding my life fully to the Lord? Does He really have my heart? Yes, eternally. I'm, I'm eternally set. But what about today? What about tomorrow morning when you get up? What's important to you tomorrow, throughout the week? What we're learning is put into display before our children. And by God's grace, what we'll display is hearts fully on fire for Him that impact them for eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we need You and we want You to change us. We want the new life to be on display. Help us to yield to You that Your Grace would reign supremely in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.